Gil Scott Herod had a great song the um, about the revolution, which I can't think of off the top of my head. Will not be televised. The re revolution will not be televised. And you know what? It goes back to some of the conversations we've had right now, because there's a revolution going on. And uh, I think some of it is being over-televised. But just to hear some of those conversations and some of those songs and the meaning thereof, and, and that they brought people together, it didn't matter race, religion, color, sexual orientation. It was the words and, and the message that was there. And I, you know, I'm sitting here watching your passion and hearing your passion in your voice and, and the excitement you have. And, and though I share it, I don't share it with the same exuberance that you express it. Because what I remember is after the concert was over or after the dance was over, those same people left and didn't want to talk to me anymore. Mm. You know, there was this period of communion as long as we were on the dance floor. But then when we separate, we were separate, you know, and unequal. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. Dr. Nelson, good to see you again. Life goes on and we keep coming up with courageous conversations. And thank you again to Nationwide for supporting our insanity and for our um, listeners for being a part of our insanity. Um, and thank you for uh, facilitating my insanity, Dr. Nelson. Always good to see you. <laughs> facilitating your insanity? I thought you were mitigating mine, but I didn't know I was encouraging you to be insane. So we, uh, we are both therapists without a license <laughs> for each other actually i'm a licensed patient so I, that's what that's how i kind of, i try to look at it no um it's good to see you peter since uh since the last time what do you want to talk about today well it's interesting we you know we talk about a lot of social issues and we had a really intense conversation last time and and we uh we talk about veterinary medicine every once in a while I've been watching a lot of TV shows that have that talk about music, and I, and I really love watching some of the music from the 70s and, and Marvin Gaye and Sly and the Family Stone. And, and so uh, Sharon and I went to see the Tina Turner play a, a few weeks ago, and it's just really how influential music is for people. Doesn't matter what the color is, but for people and, and the ability to go and, and share a common uh, understanding through music. It's interesting to go back in, into the maybe the 60s and before when they had black, so black only dances and the black groups would, would, would be uh, singing and whites would come to their concerts, but the blacks couldn't go to the white groups concerts. So all, all of these situations and this continuing of, of the influence and impact of music, rap, hip hop, in terms of politics, in terms of decision making, and everything else. So, you know, we could talk a, a little bit about the influence of music on your life. You played an instrument when you were growing up, didn't you? Nope. I sang. Okay. So I played piano. 
by the way, you do know that there is a direct correlation between uh, success in music and success in math and science. Yes. Yeah. So we're both examples of how music uh, can contribute just in some fashion to success in, in other fields. But who did you enjoy listening to growing up? I have an eclectic attraction to music. Before I answer that, you know, I, I was listening to your introduction of the of of the topic and found it interesting that you thought we had black only dances and or black only concerts and my perspective was if they were black only it wasn't because we made it so it wasn't because we restricted it it was only because no one else showed up that was another color you are right about the fact that there were concerts we were not able to attend but you are also right that there were concerts we didn't want to attend. You know, just as there's music that I that my culture tended to like, the bias of race affected what music we might like. There was a time when blues and country was almost inseparable by sound. Uh, except for bluegrass music, you could hardly ever tell the difference between the two because they were usually heavily guitar-based. You could only tell the difference by the intonations of the voice that sang the songs or the accents of the voice that sang the song. And that tended to polarize whether you liked it or not. The other implications of music is, you know, first of all, music transcends a lot uh, when it comes to emotions and moods. I'm a devout patron of music because of that. Uh, I sang in a gospel choir when I was a kid, that's how I met my wife. And we traveled across the United States singing gospel. And it fulfilled me, it offered me a, a release. And it was a vehicle for me to, to become closer to God uh, because my church was very small and rather dull. And had I just depended on that, I might not have been the Christian I am today. And my mother would tell you, I'm still not a good enough Christian. So whatever I was able to achieve in that area, it was because of my attraction to music. But I found it interesting that you generated the relationships between music and politics and music and whether it's the lyrics or whether it's the beat or whether it's the emotional impact that it has. Music tends to allow us to capture ideas in a moving emotionally moving platform and you know my very young years you know before elementary school I remember Tammy Wynette cooing through my my home but at the same time I also remember Bobby Blue Bland and B.B. King coming through my home and other artists particularly jazz and early blues artists that I don't really know by name that reflected the code of the day one of the songs that i remember that would be disdained by the me too movement were comical songs that promoted spouse abuse in a comical way and the, the song i remember the most was caledonia caledonia what makes your big head so hard mock <laughs> It's, you know, it, it gets a laugh, but when you think about the lyrics and what it's really saying, 
you're sitting there thinking, why did I laugh at that? There's oh. a lot of music, a lot of TV shows, even going back into the, the 2000s that would never be on the air now. Episodes of Seinfeld and Friends yes. and everything else. So, you know, you go back to Louis Armstrong and Cab Calloway and yes. Miles Davis. And, you know, I've got enough diverse records. Yes, I still have LPs from when I was growing up and, and Herbie Hancock and uh, Earth, Wind and Fire, The Temptations, Commodores. I remember going, all I saw Tina Turner live in the 70s. And then we bring, of course, rock and roll into the mix, which was pretty much the mid to late 50s, which was the came from rhythm and blues in, in many ways. And it was an extrapolation from that as well. So yeah, I do remember one of the uh, episodes in, in the uh, the show that I've been watching that, that talks about singers being either too black so that they couldn't get played on white radio stations or not black enough to get played on black radio stations and everything else. So it's, but it, it, it also was a unifying factor. It brought people together. It brought people together for common threads, whether it was the uh, song Ohio by uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young about the uh, Kent State murders, or Gil Scott Herod had a great song the um, about the revolution, which I can't think of off the top of my head. Will not be televised. The re revolution will not be televised. And you know what? It goes back to some of the conversations we've had right now, because there's a revolution going on. And uh, I think some of it is being over-televised. But just to hear some of those conversations and some of those songs and the meaning thereof, and, and that they brought people together, it didn't matter race, religion, color, sexual orientation. It was the words and, and the message that was there. And I, you know, I'm sitting here watching your passion and hearing your passion in your voice and, and the excitement you have. And, and though I share it, I don't share it with the same exuberance that you express it. Because what I remember is after the concert was over or after the dance was over, those same people left and didn't want to talk to me anymore. Mm. You know, there was this period of communion as long as we were on the dance floor. But then when we separate, we were separate, you know, and unequal. And I better not bring up last night, the next day. Well, that is a special compartment of life, or that's the way I felt some whites took it I was not I still wasn't part of their life you know and even though I may have taught them a jig a jig step or two that they couldn't quite get right that doesn't mean they that they appreciated enough to speak to me the next day or to treat me the same way as they as to, to have to have fun with me you know I better remember my place uh, but it did create a crack in the sophistry of racism it did say you know if you can do if you know we, we're kind of all alike and 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 we do like similar things you know the temptations was probably my favorite group i still sing temptation song i still try to sing every part at the same time you know <laughs> lou rawls was probably my favorite ballad singer the Commodores came through Tuskegee when Tuskegee was at its Mecca. And, you know, we had, to, I, I was, I was in vet school in Tuskegee while the Commodores were playing. The Commodores actually played at my high school reunion. 
They weren't well known then. They were on the rise. And the only hit they had that year was Machine Gun. But that's when I found out that they were a good band because they were playing other people's hits very well. And that's when I realized that Lionel Richie could sing and that they could compose music because they would play other people's hits the best way they could play it. And it was nice hearing that. And it was a, it was a good prompt. Uh, Bobby Blue Bland is, a, is another favorite uh, uh, for me. I actually liked him better than I liked B.B. Uh, King, although B.B. King was a great storyteller. Bobby Blue Bland was a much more sexual blues singer. B.B. King was always the, the um, took the role of the man that was being mistreated by his wife, being cheated on, et cetera. Bobby Blue Bland's songs were more about how he was mistreating cheating wives or or looking for entertainment for the night or, you know, or things like that. And he had a guttural sound, a a patented guttural sound that my son used to, every time he heard it, he would repeat it immediately because it just surprised you when he did it. But I, I'm also a jazz freak. I love jazz. I love to work with jazz playing. I use jazz to, to calm me down and to keep my emotions a little bit more under the surface. When I'm working. I mean, I'll play jazz in the background because I don't, with, with lyrics, I start to sing along. And so I get distracted from the typing or, or, or what I'm trying to do. So yeah, jazz, Apple Radio and all these others have these jazz stations. And anytime a, a vocal comes on or, or music comes on with a vocal, I skip it because I want to go back to the piano or the the guitar or whatever the case may be. So jazz is really good for um, getting your mind focused. In many so let ways. me ask you a question. You mentioned mm -hmm. uh, earlier that you have LP. So do I. I'm, I'm looking at George Benson LP right now in my office. And I, as a matter of fact, the two that I have four boxes of LPs here, I'm looking at, and two of them have George Benson in the front for some reason, like I just finished playing them. Mm -hmm. But, and then you mentioned Apple podcast i'm excuse me apple uh radio and <laughs> i don't want to give commercials out on, on all the radio platforms that i use etc right. but because the question i really want to get to is when was the last time you actually bought a platform of music that you now own that you don't have to stream to hear that you can hear whenever you want to hear how dependent have you become on streaming it's a great question. So when it comes to purchasing stuff that I own, the last CD that I probably purchased was last year when uh, Bruce Springsteen released his most recent CD. Why? Because Weinstein and Springsteen, you know, we're related. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, because... I grew up as a huge Bruce Springsteen fan in the Northeast in the 70s, and that I've never lost that touch. So he is the only artist currently that I have bought music of. Now, I have LPs. Every, every once in a while, my wife will get me a new LP. Many of mine are from the 70s when I was growing up, and they go back to the early 70s through probably the release of CDs. And I also probably have three or 400 CDs in the closet. 
that I purchased after LP started to wane. And on top of that, I probably had three or 400 cassettes, which were LPs recorded onto cassettes that I just translated onto CDs. So I have music that I have recorded for generations in all sorts of different platforms and all sorts of different music, disco, yes, I said that five letter word, disco, rock, country, bluegrass, my cousin was a recorded bluegrass singer. I have George Benson, I've got Earth, Wind and Fire. I may not have the Commodores, I've, but I, I have a very diverse group of, of records as well. I think we all do, like Chuck Mangione, things like yes. that. But the reason I asked the question though was, I'm fearful. I I am, I, I'm not. I'm not fearful. I know that there's there's a gap in my life. Uh, when you ask me about recent music that I really like, I almost can't tell you. Not because there's none that I like. Not because um, I haven't been keeping up. It's because I don't own it. And because I don't own it, if I want to listen to Adele. I have to go to Sirius XM or and listen to her radio station in order. And I don't necessarily get the songs that I might really want to listen to. I can't just selectively pl play. And and I'm and and I suddenly began to question how is that affecting fandom? You know, now teenagers figure that figure this out. I mean, you know, they they like you know when I uh, they like who they like. Um, uh, and they get to go to concerts. You know, I, I can't I can't imagine spending as much money as I saw being spent when we were in Denver um, for uh, what's her name when she was Taylor on Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah, on Taylor Swift. I mean, I would have never seen The Temptations if I had had to buy a dress or whatever they, you know, if I had spent five hundred dollars just to get to the concert. You know, and not you know, and that's before I bought the concert ticket, you know, um, uh, or after. If I had bought the concert ticket, I wouldn't. I'm. I, I may not have been able to afford the the ride out there, and if I did get out there, I'd probably be spending the night in the desert somewhere, uh, you know, and and hitchhiking back. Um, but I'm concerned. I, I, I in my later years. You know, like you, I'm kind of going through all of the stuff that I had collected. Uh, I didn't, I didn't put a lot of money in eight track tapes, and I didn't put a lot in the cassettes because I because I quickly learned that the tape might not survive heat or whatever. And all the tapes that I had also were dubbed by me with my favorites. But I did like making my own song song lists. You know. Um, uh, and as easy as it is to make playlists, even now, to maintain them drains your account. It drains your bank account, you know, and we don't own them anymore. And we can't, you know, I'm, I'm watching, um, when, when the, uh, the, the TV series 24 came out. A long time ago i i love that show and for christmas at the end of the series doris bought me the compilation of that series on cd 
we were cleaning the garage about a year ago, and we found that box of CDs that had never been opened. And I'm watching it again, and I don't have to stream it. You know, um, I'm a sci-fi fanatic. I don't have um, SG-1, Stargate SG-1, on CD. But I, I can get it on Netflix, right? Until, but if, but if uh, I had this experience, I think I've watched that series maybe two or three times in my lifetime. This, but about three years ago, while I was watching it, the cop, the uh, it moved from Netflix to some other platform. Let's let's say let's just say it was Amazon. And I'm halfway through it. And I didn't have the other platform. You know, and in order to finish it, I actually had to sign up with the other platform. And I suddenly realized how we are subjecting ourselves to this, to these fingers in our pocket all the time. And we've gotten used to having our fing these fingers in our pockets. At least our children are used to it. Now, they're so nimble with it. They, they don't mind cutting one and starting another just to get the show they want. But we used to get those show without those shows without paying for it, except through ads. But now we've taken we've taken advantage of the ADD of the of younger generations, and we don't want to see ads. So we pay three dollars. It started out two fifty a month. Now it's five fifty a month, or nine dollars a month, or depending on the platform, as much as seventeen dollars a month. Yeah, I mean we have. We have more control, but at the same time, we've lost control. I don't know if we have any more control. That's my point. Well, we have more choices. Yes, you have more choices. That's not control. Well, yes. Uh, so it, it's it's just interesting because I don't always listen to one artist. I will frequently like to get a compilation of best of the 70s rock, best of the 70s country, best of the 70s hard heavy metal. And I'll listen to 40 or 50 songs while I'm working out or in the airplane or whatever the case may be. So to me, some of this is it brings back memories. And it, there's yes. always there's a visceral response to when did you hear this first song? Or, you know, I, re I remember certain songs when I was out driving with some friends that we would just sing all the time. So there's our, our reptilian brain or whatever part of our brain stores music and, and that sort of memory. Um, that seems to stick around a little bit longer than some of the other things. I wonder if we taught by song, which, by the way, probably goes back to Neanderthal times in many ways. If we taught through music, would we have a greater retention of information? Well, yes. Um, the, the problem is learning to write that information in a ballad or in, in a in a manner that it's easy to learn by song and that evokes the memory you want. And you're right. We used to transfer information by using oral history. It's already been proven that that or rhythmic oral history 
was much more easily transferred. Now, what happened was, was that over the years, we lost the term, we lost the meaning of the words in oral history. We knew them, but we for, we forgot what they really meant. We lost what, what the words meant, but we didn't forget the tones. We didn't forget the song, it's the, the, the song itself, you know. We even didn't forget the words, we just forgot the meanings because they changed or because the language, the derivative of the language changed, right? That was, that's the problem. That was the problem with, with uh, oral history, especially with dialects and accents changing the tones of the words just slightly over time. I think music is an extremely important part of people's lives and maybe we don't give it enough credit. And I, I think there's a lot of artists, uh, Taylor Swift, Bruce Springsteen, uh, a lot of the rap and hip hop artists that have a message. I think the messages of the of of songs, particularly uh, current music or age specific music, it bronzes the window of time for you. If if it's nothing but a but a look at the social mores of the time. Uh, dance music moved from, you know, you talk about disco, but the twist was not disco. You know, it was considered rhythm and blues more, you know, a cross between rhythm and blues and rock and roll. But still, there's, you know, there are certain genres, there are certain purposes of music, musics that convey love, convey hurt, conveys disappointment, conveys uh, depression. Uh, one of my favorite jazz artists is that was actually a high school classmate of mine, Cassandra Fouts, who has a very sultry alto voice. But she has a way of intonating deep feelings, particularly when, with relate with related to both attractive love as well as disappointment in love. I think those are her specialties. Well, I. I uh... I just thought this was an interesting topic and and uh, a great opportunity to to just get off some of the social issues and and also get into some of the social issues and use music as a platform to express ourselves. And whether it's protest music or support music, whether it is dance music or whether it is not got lyrics at all, such as jazz. And I don't think we can lose music in the education process. I think it's so vital to all of our kids growing up that music be a part of their lives that I wish I could create a whole veterinary school curriculum that was taught by song. But that's outside of my my strength. So I, I'll leave that to you to come up with uh, how to teach immunology, uh, virology, et cetera, through um, rock and roll. I don't think I have that kind of time in my life, um, <laughs> le left in my life to do that. I mean, to do that well, although that's an interesting proposition, I'm sure somebody else, I, I've spent, it, it, it took me 30 years to even accomplish what I've accomplished in learning how to teach anything in, in, in science and medicine to, to our young graduates. But I think that's a very interesting process. I've enjoyed this conversation. We have dabbed at how important it is. We we should not leave this conversation without reminding our listeners how important the arts are in general, and that life is more than veterinary medicine. It's more than the struggles that we have. 
that life presents and that the arts help us express our our struggles as well as illuminate uh, possible solutions to those struggles and is another venue for us to share ideas, view different perspectives in a non-threatening manner that can be as effective as conversation. We as a world have come in many ways full circle over the last 50 or 60 years in the sense that, remember the 45s? The, the, certain, the records with the big hole in the middle. And you do, and do you remember the 78s? I, my parents had some. Okay. But 45s were about three minutes long. TikTok videos are about two and a half minutes long. So what we were able to learn on a 45, maybe we can do through a TikTok video. Just me being a little bit off the wall in my thoughts because that's where we've come. We've come a full generation and back to short information sharing. And so my challenge now is to come up with a two and a half minute or three minute TikTok video on something. So all you've done, you know, I thought you were going somewhere else with that. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that the 45s and the 78s and most songs are three to three and a half minutes. Right. Between two and a half to three and a half minutes. Right. And the fact that a TikTok a video is about the same, all that tells us is, is even when we started recording songs, we understood the concentration length of human of the human mind. Yep. Right? And the variety of those songs was exhibited on albums. If you didn't want to hear the same song over and over, you put them all on an album. And then the artists began to tell stories through their albums. You had miniature stories or chapters of the story in the individual songs. And Taylor Swift does this very well. Yep. She, she creates hidden messages, even on the cover of her albums or, or, or her CDs. You know, there are, you know, uh, uh, there's a whole approach to how you interpret her riddle and her messages. But again, it shows you the depth of the of of true artists, and the fact that you know everybody keeps talking about the the value of fine art, you know, and and uh, and fine artists, and yet that value isn't explained until you truly understand what the art the artist was trying to do with Mona Lisa, or what the you know artist was trying to do in a black uh, caricature of a woman enjoying her of a black woman enjoying herself dancing by herself you know and the fact and when you see that particular picture bill cosby used to have it on his show a lot uh just hanging it on on the wall and when you see that picture you understand that she's dancing to a blues or jazz type record just by the way the arms are flowing and the way the fingers are flowing and the way the dress is flowing and we're talking about a still picture and i'm using words like flowing yeah no it, it it's a great conversation and i think one we will revisit again and again and again because i think uh i challenge all of our listeners to come up with the curriculum for the new for any of the multitude of new vet schools taught in tiktok 
on that note. <laughs> well, I, you know, all that says is that that the suddenly the sudden recognition of micro learning, yeah, was recognized a long time ago. Yep. But now let's go with it. Let's run with it. So as well, as we, we uh, fade off fade off into the sunset and try to figure out what the next gen how to teach the next generation of veterinary students i think we solved the problem it's on a 45 okay well <laughs> i'm going to let you solve that problem then <laughs> thank you dr nelson thank you uh, nationwide for supporting us again i want to thank nicole nelson our producer for trying to make something out of what we just finished having fun doing and to our listeners Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed Courageous Conversations. You got a, you got a song you want to sing us out on? Nope. Okay. <laughs> nope. All right. Neither do I. All right. Take care now, everybody. All right. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.